0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of Marvel's Voices. Marvel's Voices has always been the place to spotlight diverse storytellers from across the Marvel universe. And this episode is absolutely no different. This time, we're talking to the talented short story and video games writer, Alyssa Wong. Marvel writer Greg Pak tapped Alyssa to co-write the Arrow and Wave Origins and Destiny stories in the first six Arrow issues. And now Alyssa is writing the new chapter for Star Wars character Dr. Afra in Star Wars Dr. Afra. It launched digitally on May 4th as a celebration of Star Wars Day, and then later that month in print. Up until now, Alyssa has been best known for her award winning fantastical short stories that dive into the inner lives of monsters, villains, and characters that some would describe as anti heroes. I talked to Alyssa about writing Marvel characters, what's great about writing monsters, and how she made the move from writing short stories to writing comics. You're well known for writing these deceptively monstrous women, these anti heroes, (laughs) these ambiguous villains of, of various genders. And it's so cool because. I love a good antihero. You know, what draws you, though, as the writer to focus on monsters in your short stories?
1: Monsters are cool. Like, they're just cool. Monsters are cool. Villains are cool. I love, I love writing villains. um, Because if you're a villain, you get to break all the rules. Like, you don't have to be nice. Uh, You can be super strong and not feel, like, bad about it. People can try to make you feel bad about it. But, like, whatever, it doesn't matter. I love how showy and dramatic and ridiculous you can get with villains. And for me, what I like is at least one layer of that, and then a really sharp layer of truth right underneath that. I like villains who are right. And specifically, the villain who's right about the protagonist, if you can just shove a knife in someone's heart and then twist it, the equivalent of that, but like hot and stylish is like the ideal villain for me. (laughs) I like to write things I find fun and like villains are just fun.
0: So you did this incredible job with Arrow and with Arrow and Wave. Like for those who are unfamiliar with Arrow and may not be as familiar with Arrow's story because it's really cool, um, or even Wave, can you tell me a little bit about the two characters and what your concept was when you were writing for them?
1: Wave is a Filipina superhero. She is uh, from Cebu and uh, she was always a really good swimmer. She loved the ocean. She was swimming competitively in high school when she got into some trouble and she basically got kicked off the swim team. She was like, Just kind of like floating through life um, when she was recruited by this company that was like, hey, we're doing uh, swimming trials. Can you come and swim for us? That company, Allentech, turned out to be an evil company um, and they were experimenting on on people. And she accidentally was granted her superpowers. And it wasn't until she was like Allentech and uh, Wave, who was in the middle of an experiment, were busted by the Triumph Division. A group of Filipino superheroes that she realized, oh wait, I'm on the wrong side. Oh no, what do I do? I think a big part of Wave's personality is that she is a very brash sort of person. She always feels like she has to prove herself to triumph division. She feels like she has to prove that she actually is a good person, worthy of, you know, I guess her powers and and of defending her community. But she is somebody who has very strong convictions. And a very good heart. And someone for whom family and community means everything. I would say that very strong ties to family and community are, at least in my experience, also pretty core to um, the Filipino experience. (laughs) I have a whole bunch of aunties um, and uncles who I like tapped into for a certain scene in uh, the Wave and Arrow stories, um, where Wave goes home. And all of the aunties mob her, and they're all up in her business. That's very real to me. (laughs) And uh, Arrow, I think Arrow's a little bit older than Wave. She's a lot more um, calm uh, and self-possessed. She knows what she's about. She's an architect. And she is sort of the calming influence uh, in those stories with Arrow and Wave. She's the person who's like, here are our responsibilities, like, we're going to go by the book. So uh, sometimes there's a little bit of tension between them, but they're really good friends. And I think they work out really well together. Like, their dynamic is really fun. Arrow's always uh, pushing Wave to, like, remember the rules, remember obligations, be considerate. And Wave is always like, Arrow, you got to line
0: up. It's going to be fine. How did you balance your love for villains with this idea of these very, st- I wouldn't say straightforward, they are complex characters, but they're heroes. They're
1: definitely heroes. Um, so honestly, that was really hard. <laughs> At the time, I was also writing for Overwatch, which is a video game that is full of characters who are also very like, clearly heroic. And I love learning how to write new things. And I like stretching myself. I think just as important as it is to be able to write a really interesting, messy villain or antihero. I also want to learn how to write like really genuinely good people. And that's actually a lot harder for me. (laughs) So so it was a struggle, but it was so fun to like learn more about these heroes and, you know, get to see their convictions and really push them to the point where they really had to bring it and stand by the things they believe in you know, to bring it home. And I think that's an attractive quality whether you are a hero or a villain.
0: So Arrow being Chinese and Wave being Filipina, like, how is it meant to be able to write those superheroes for Marvel for you? So actually, when I found
1: out about uh, Wave, sometime before I started working on the comic with Greg, you know, I told all my friends, I told my mom. <laughs> Even growing up, um, I didn't know, like, Any other Filipino kids, so it was finally getting to see yourself represented in comics. I know we talk about this a lot, but it's so life changing. It's it's so affirming. It's like I know I exist, but here's proof that other people know that I exist, and that's so special. So I mean, it's a dream come true, honestly.
0: Like, I imagine that there is a a family call where all of the aunties, you're just, like, (laughs) announcing to aunties, like, I did it, right? And you're bringing all the copies home. My parents are really proud. My dad's ridiculous, and he's like, I bought,
1: like, four copies. And I was like, oh, thanks, Dad. My mom is Filipina, and I think it was very special to her. I think she's very excited that I'm writing comics. I think that she is very excited that... I'm writing a Filipina superhero. I can't imagine that her like dream for me was necessarily like, I want you to grow up and write for Marvel and write a Filipina superhero. So I have a feeling she's like more than a little bit surprised, but I'm, I think she's really happy.
0: For you, as you're writing Arrow and as you're writing Wave and and in your stories, do you feel like cultural... Influences have been something that you've used in your writing, and particularly when as you were writing Wave, uh, do you feel like that had an impact?
1: Yeah, um, I would say, I would say definitely. When I talked about like growing up and not seeing very many characters who were like me when I was growing up, I also didn't see very many queer characters or you know queer characters of color, especially. So. As a queer person of color, that's something that I always want to write about. I want to build the characters I didn't get the chance to see as a kid who I like wanted to see so badly as a kid because I wanted to know that other people knew that I existed, but I also wanted to know that I was valued and affirmed as the person I was, not as someone I had to pretend to be because I wasn't sure that it was safe to be me. So I like to write a lot of characters who are, like, they're queer, they don't, they don't have, like, weird feelings about it. They're not like, am I? Am I not? Do I feel bad about this? They're like, I just exist. That's my deal. And my story might not be about that. It's just, here's what my story is about, and the person that I am is this.
0: Yeah. I love this because there is this one scene where they're underwater and it's it's these two warrior women characters um well because one is an underwater creature um that <laughs> you know is a humanoid I guess um but this this queer couple was written in such love and such intention that you could tell in the writing what you were like the right it makes all the sense in the world to me now after reading this part of the story
1: that makes me so happy thank you <laughs> yeah I, that was so that was something that uh greg and i talked about i was like i really really want to see like a, a queer filipina i was like where are my queer aunties at where are my older queer filipino aunties at and now she's here and her name is the sea hunter yeah i love her she is one of my favorite things to come out of those comics. She is uh, older, she is tough, she's got like pink corally colored armor, and she is deeply, deeply in love and committed to her lady. I think when you write like short fiction and stuff that is basically just for you and your own, possibly with a much smaller audience uh, in mind, you have a little bit more room to, uh, shall we say, YOLO. But, um, but like, when you're operating on that much bigger of a stage, I know that people can get gun-shy because it might be more risky in terms of, like, is your audience going to like this? And if it's just me, I'm like, who cares? All right, for me. But the fact that Marvel was like, yeah, this sounds good. Let's do it. Made me so happy. like So deeply, deeply happy.
0: When Alyssa mentioned talking with Greg, she was of course referring to award-winning comic book writer Greg Pak. Greg's previously been a guest on the show and is a longtime Marvel writer, including Weapon X, Agents of Atlas, and The Incredible Hulk, which is where he originated Amadeus Cho, as well as the World War Hulk storyline. He also wrote the only solo book for Storm and a bunch of Star Wars titles, including the current run of Star Wars Darth Vader. Alyssa told me about how they ended up collaborating on the stories of Arrow and Wave, two Asian Marvel superheroes, who are also members of the Agents of Atlas team.
1: I got a call from him uh, out of the blue and he was like, hey, I have this project. Do you want to collaborate with me on it? And I was like, wait, hold up you really, you want me? You want me to write this with, really? And he was like, well, yeah, I'm doing these 10 page stories about Wave and Arrow. And uh, Wave is Filipino superhero. Arrow is Chinese. You are Filipino and Chinese. Like that would be really, really fun. He was like, I, I, I'm having a uh, wave go back to like her roots. And interact with her community, and it's like a family kind of story. And he was like, I I read this story that you wrote called Olivia's Table, which is very much also a family story. It's a short story in an anthology called A Thousand Beginnings and Endings, and it's about this girl, and she lives in Phoenix, Arizona, and she drives down from Phoenix to, like, a small Uh, town in the southwest to cook a banquet for the ghost festival every year and it's about her doing this on her own for the first time after her mother passes he read that and he was like i really love the stuff you did with that story and how you wrote about family um and i think that would be really awesome to have and i would love to bring you in and you know let's work together and i was like yeah let's do it (laughs) had you met before he called you so that was the wildest thing. Like we had spoken on Twitter before, but we hadn't like spent a ton of time together. I was like, oh my God, I love your stuff. You want to work with me? What? <laughs> I would like to say that I sounded more collected when I talked to Greg, but that would be a lie.
0: This wasn't your first time working on a comic book, right?
1: I had done Adventure Time before this, but like that was, I mean, in terms of
0: professional comic work, that was, that was it. So I always say that comic books are the biggest team sport. And normally when I'm saying that, it's the writer, the artist, the penciler, the colorist. Like there's one writer. But this is a very unique situation, right? This is you collaborating with another writer. How was it collaborating with Greg on the story? Because Greg Pak is in New York and you were on the West Coast. What was your process? Working with Greg was awesome.
1: He was super gracious, super nice, very enthusiastic, and super open to brainstorm and jam. Because we had that time difference, uh, it was always really hard to uh, find a good time to talk. So usually it would be during lunch breaks at work. I would go sit in my car and we'd talk things out. Or it would be like at truly ridiculous hours, either very early or very late. I feel very lucky to have gotten to do that. Um, One, because I'm a huge fan. Two, because I feel like I really got to learn a lot of stuff from someone who was not only very accomplished but also a very good patient teacher. We had those ten page uh issues, and one of us would take the first five and the other person would take the other five so uh it's gotten kind of to the point where if you ask me which ones I wrote, I actually might not be able to tell you because you know one of us would write the first five. Or one of us would write the back five, and then you try to have, you have to figure out what pieces go where in order to make that work. And give notes, we swap, we edit, we suggest new lines, um, and then we send it to the editor. So by the time it gets there, ideally, it all sort of fits together. It was a challenge. But it was super fun. Were
0: you a comic book reader as a kid? Is it something that you really loved, or were you just like a book nerd? In general,
1: uh, definitely book nerd. I mean, I've always loved to read, and I've always been really into, um, you know, science fiction and fantasy and horror. I grew up in a in a very, very, very Christian household, and um, so I read a bunch of books from the Christian bookstore. And there is a there is this guy who's like a legend in Christian horror, which is like a subgenre where it's like, hold up, what? But yeah, I read all these books by this guy named Frank Peretti. And it's like weird supernatural stuff, like monsters, demons. And I remember as a kid reading it. And I mean, I think if you grow up in super duper Bible town, you, you expect like, oh, okay, well, there are these bad things. But then you pray and then they go away and it's fine. And the thing I found really exciting about these books is that they would pray and they wouldn't go away. And I was like, yes, yes, this is what I want. This is everything I've ever wanted. But yeah, no, I've always loved to read. And I think that horror has actually always had a special place in my heart. I didn't read a ton of American comics growing up, but um, I read a ton of manga. Like, I remember uh, back when Barnes & Noble and Borders started carrying them, I was like, maybe in sixth grade. And after that, it was just anything I could get my hands on.
0: For you, what was the turn from being this avid reader to going, okay, this is what I want to do. I want to be a writer.
1: So my dad used to tell me stories uh, when I was a kid. First, they were like like stories his dad had told him, like fairy tale kind of things. And then um, my sister and I kept asking for more. He started making stuff up about us. So I learned very early on that if you got bored, you could just make up your own stuff. So I was making up stories as long as I can remember. I always loved writing, but I was always uh, nervous about showing it to other people because I thought that they would think I was really weird if they saw what I was writing. (laughs) But it turns out that I'm not the only person with an
0: appetite for weird, dark stories. You have a lot of texture to your stories. like There is a lot of amazing visual elements in your writing Do you think that helped you when you were making that transition from short stories into comics and how?
1: Mm, I, I think it did. I like working in smaller spaces. So space constraint is actually something that I really like. So, I mean, that's why I like short fiction. How definitely can I tell this story? What tricks can I build and then pull in order to make people see what I want them to see in, like, no space at all? When I write something, I have to be able to see and hear it before a scene comes together. I think that comics being such a visual medium, in some ways, like I felt like I had, um, I had some experience that I could bring to that. But in other ways, I was like, I, I really want to leave room to collaborate and like want to rely on the artists and the rest of my team who have so much experience working visually that I don't necessarily have. But I think in terms of envisioning the moment-by-moment, beat-by-beat, you know, what dialogue goes where and in terms of pacing out a scene, I definitely think that writing short, a lot of short fiction helps a lot.
0: <laughs> a unique element to your writing is this usage of a lot of sensory elements, like smells and textures. How do you use that in the world and character building in the short stories versus comics because while they're both small spaces, they also have very different mechanics. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Uh, I always want to know what the air smells like. I know that sounds weird, but you walk into a space and the first thing that hits me, at least, is what the air feels like. What it, is it warm? Is it cold? Uh, what does it taste like? And how is what's going on internally... Um, affecting the way I am experiencing that taste or that feel. If I'm walking into a church and it's a place that I feel really at home in and I'm excited it might the emotional feeling might be warm so maybe the air also feels warm or it it tastes like home or whatever or if I'm not comfortable in that place, maybe I'm nervous and it leaves like a sort of stale feeling on my tongue as I'm walking into this church I might feel too hot, too cold. I feel like the the sensory is always really tied into how you feel emotionally. That's actually probably what I build most of the sensory stuff uh, out of when I'm writing short fiction. When I'm writing comic scripts, I might put details like that into the actual script. But, you know, as a reader, I can't, like, smell the comic and be like, Mmm, smells like pain. Uh, but... <laughs> At the same time, you know, I might write in a script, uh, this character is nervous. She uh, feels unsettled, like she's being forced back into a shape that she doesn't belong in anymore. And that's inviting the artist's interpretation of what that feels like. I think the cool thing about working with an artist, too, is learning to communicate and seeing whether or not the way that you're communicating through the script is actually coming through to other people. Which is something you always hope for in prose, but you rarely get that visceral of a feedback. Because someone else has to take what you build and then build something else with that. So it's like really cool. I love, I love different people's interpretations of the things that I, I, I work
0: on. A big inspiration for Alyssa's writing about sensory stuff comes from growing up in the desert. She talked to me about that and the desert's presence in her Locust Award-winning short story, You'll Surely Drown Here If You Stay. Growing
1: up in Arizona and, um, I mean, I write about the desert a lot. It is an incredibly beautiful place. I mean, I know a lot of people say that it's not as pretty because there aren't as many trees and it's very, like, barren. But I think there is uh, this gorgeous dark beauty and a beauty of extremes in the desert that I just you really don't get anywhere else and when I dream about what I want my writing to be I want something that is beautiful and cutting and devastating and that feels very desert to me that's definitely how I feel
0: You've talked in the past about how the deserts influenced your writing and other stories. Can you give kind of a couple of examples of how that has appeared? Yeah, sure. Um,
1: It's appeared in a couple different stories. The one I mentioned earlier, Olivia's Table, which is the one about the girl cooking uh, a banquet for ghosts at the ghost festival. That takes place in the desert. I also wrote a story called You'll Surely Drown Here If You Stay, which was my take on like a spaghetti Western. It's a desert Cinderella story, a desert necromancer Cinderella story about a boy whose mother is the desert and whose father is dead and who is trying to cope with his uh, powers of like being able to raise the dead and also like turning into a weird desert beast at night. I read Blood Meridian by Cormac McCarthy and I was like, I love the descriptions of the desert in this and I would love to do like a ridiculous Western I don't know if I succeeded. I might have, but I believe that's the one I won the Locus Award for.
0: You have in the past talked about your grandmother. Do you feel like your grandmother has and her influence has helped you bring together this idea of how you write right and wrong or power and powerlessness and and turn it on its head?
1: I think so. Yeah, definitely. So, uh, my grandma was my mom's mom. Was a Titanic force of a of a lady. She had very strong opinions and uh, was very fiery, and very temperamental. I think uh, my mom, who I love and adore, is a lot more. She's a lot more contained, I think, and she's very calm. I think that, you know, she taught me there's a certain way you do things because these are the things that will protect you and will make it easier for you to live in the world. And so I have these two very powerful but in different ways women on either side of me, each one of them sort of showing me a different path through the world, one of which is just barrel through the sheer force of personality and the other is, like, speak softly so that, you know, people want to step aside for you. And I find myself at the crux of these things, trying to figure out what my path is. So I know that both of these things are good. There's actually a character in um, in Dr. Afra, like a new character, who is someone who is very sweet and, like, speaks softly and she's, you know, very girlish and girly, but she is also, like, a deeply ambitious, like, kind of terrifying, vicious person. One of those kinds of characters that I really love, the sweet on the outside, like, razor blade on the inside kind of character. So I'm looking forward to that. But yeah, I think that sort of standing at the at the crossroads of, of those two approaches and you know, wrestling with the idea of like not the question of what makes a woman powerful, but what are the different ways to be powerful as a woman and how does that affect you and the world you live in and how you traverse through it? The uh, Dr. Afra run has uh, several women who are all very powerful, but they all interact with the world and each other very differently. So I'm pretty excited about that.
0: If you had to describe Dr. Afra, How would you describe, because it's just so ambiguously fun and brilliant. The essence of Dr. Aphra
1: is so pure, in a sense, because she does exactly what she wants, and everything that she does is because she wants to do it. Other people's opinions may may maybe weigh into it, like, I guess, as an afterthought, but I feel like for all of her like lying and scheming and everything. If you boil down the core of who Afra is, Afra is in it for herself. So like when she betrays you, it's it's a surprise, but it's also not a surprise. I feel like the people around her are like I just imagine them like shaking their heads knowingly like, "Oh my god, like I should have seen that coming. What else was I expecting?" Afra's fun. She's so much fun. Because she doesn't worry about things like oh is this necessarily like the the morally right thing to do or even sometimes even as far as how badly is this gonna bite me in the butt later like it's fine we'll see i'll figure it out it'll be great and
0: she's so chaotic so good and I think it's so interesting in the Star Wars universe, right? There's so many other chaotic things that are happening, right? You've got Darth Vader, you've got the Jedis, and then you've got this world that exists outside of it. And sometimes we forget that there are people who are trying to live, and that includes women, right? That mm-hmm. includes this this place where I don't want to be a Jedi, I'm really not here for being a stormtrooper and Dr. Afra exists in this kind of space where she's trying to make it and not trying to choose sides. Do you, do you feel like for you that Christian background of of, but also understanding that faith can sometimes make you blaze this other path, <laughs> draws you to characters like Dr. Afra?
1: I think that growing up, I was always told that there are very specific ways to be. I mean, anything, honestly, very specific ways to be a woman or to be a good person or, you know, act like this. Don't do this. And I have a lot of respect for people who can look at all the ways that the world wants them to be and consider them and say, no, that's not for me. Then turn around and do their own thing. That feels very aspirational to me, at least. (laughs) I think that I am drawn to characters, both characters who, are, who have power but are afraid to use it, and then also characters who have power, know they have power, love it, and know how to use it. And I love putting them together in spaces. And I think Afra falls into the latter
0: category, for sure. So how do you start with Afra? right? Because she's not, she's not new. You are mm-hmm. you are taking over. This is a, a relaunch. So, how do you start with creating this morally ambiguous next adventure? Well,
1: i I started by <laughs> I started by reading all of Afra as fast as I could, um, so I could try to keep it all in my head at the same time. And I loved seeing Afra's arcs and how she grows over time. But I kept coming back to that very first issue of her characterization and her dialogue and how confident she is. And I was like, if I'm starting a, a relaunch, um, I want this to be accessible to people who haven't necessarily read all of the other Afro comics. But I also want it to feel like a logical extension of the other Afro comics for the people who have been following her adventures this whole time. So there's a bit of a time skip. And we open with Afra. She's kind of hit rock bottom in a lot of ways. And so because she's at the bottom, the only way out is up. And building out a new escape route for where she is right now. So hopefully, hopefully this will make people happy. But I can tell you that I had a lot of fun doing it. I think that like taking over the reins of a story that is Lovely and awesome and super well established is pretty intimidating, and that's just because I respect what's been done with her. I mean, Kieran Gillen and Seisbury are just—they're so good, and that just makes me so stoked to try to do the best that I can with this character, who like they made me fall in love with.
0: Do you feel like uh this is gonna be your opportunity to bring that rich landscape of the desert to are we gonna see more desert? Like I just no, I just wanna know. Boom. There's the question.
1: So what I'm gonna say about that is I would love to put more desert, more desert in Dr. Aphrodite. That'd be so great. I think that'd be really sick. That's all I can say about that. But um if you give me an opportunity to write about the desert i, I mean, it's going to happen like i'm going to take it
0: <laughs> i am very excited about dr afra's new chapter and i wouldn't be me if i didn't ask like what's next for dr afra and her her very interesting team my personal favorite is the wookiee like i i love him <laughs> i got a love for wookiee's friend and this is a badass wookiee
1: yeah he's He's awesome. I love writing Wookiee lines. They're so much fun. I also like the idea that like every, pretty much everyone can understand the Wookiee, but like where uh, he says something and then someone responds. He's so sweet and he's so powerful and so big that having him in any scene just, just lights it up, I think. I wanted to, um, something I thought about when we were talking um, was uh, we were talking about drawing on your personal experiences and characters who are important to you. And one of the things that I also never grew up seeing when I was a kid was Southeast Asian characters. So I feel like when I would see Asian characters and they were rare enough, they were always East Asian characters. So, you know, they might be Chinese or Japanese. And usually in the era that I was consuming media in, it was usually... Either Chinese or Japanese, but like I never saw like Filipinos. I never saw Vietnamese characters. I never saw like Cambodian characters. So I really wanted to bring that to the table with Afra. So um, I have one character who's part of Afra's team. His name is Just Lucky, and he is uh, Southeast Asian. And I was like, this is a thing that I'm like going to bat for. Like, I really want this because I felt like I was being handed the Holy Grail with Afra, And I saw an opportunity there to write a character who, who I, again, hadn't gotten the chance to see growing up and who I had always wanted to see. So I'm just like more Southeast
0: Asian representation. Yeah. You can almost see in the writing as everyone's getting introduced at with their like their names right next to them. Like you feel like you're watching a movie in the first <laughs> couple of pages. And it's really, really neat. So I'm excited to see what the next steps are for Afra and like the entire team. Can you give us any like sneak peeks? Uh yeah.
1: I would say in this arc, they are pursuing some ancient artifacts called the Rings of Veil, vale, which are very valuable and they're said to bring great power to those who wear them if you're wearing both rings at the same time. However, they're also said to be cursed, and uh, they're hidden somewhere in a city. There have been expeditions to try to find them before, but no one's come back alive. So that's where Afra and her team are headed. So they make it to the city, and it's beautiful and strange, but then, like... I don't want to spoil anything, but I will say that there is something very wrong with the city. And uh, I don't think anybody's quite prepared for what they're going to find.
0: All right, I have one more question because I really just need to know. You clearly love horror, you clearly love monsters. Is there anything that scares you? I have a deep,
1: visceral, like horrified reaction to insects. Something about their legs, uh, something about the fact that they're like crusty on the top and then squishy on the inside when you step on them, like really awful, just disgusting, horrible. Which has made Animal Crossing very difficult because I'm catching bugs all the time and I have to look at
0: them when I catch them, so that's upsetting. And there we have it. I'm so sorry (laughs) to relive all of your worst nightmares, but thank you so much for like spending all of this time with me. This is absolutely amazing. I cannot wait to read more Dr. Afra.
1: Thank you. And thank you so much for having me. This was super fun. I'm really excited about getting to bring some horror to Dr. Afra because that is definitely what I'm bringing to this arc. So cross my fingers.
0: I want to thank this week's guest, Alyssa Wong. And thank y'all for listening. Now go check out Dr. Afra and Arrow and Wave Origins and Destinies in Arrow number one through number six. You will not regret it. This episode of Marvel's Voices was produced by me, Angelique Rocher, Mr. Daniel, Percy Verlin, and Jorge Estrada. Our director of audio is Jill Duboff. Our development manager is Brad Barton. This episode was mixed by Cedric Wilson at Lantigua Williams & Co.